Hello friends, my name is Mike. Thank you for joining me today on Up North Rocks, Northern Ontario's only climbing podcast. Listen to me, Annie. I don't care how experienced you are. A smart climber always wears a belt and suspenders. Dad. Two cams are safe, three's even better. Dad. Not kidding, Annie. Nobody's going anywhere until you put another cam in the wall. Dad, I have three cams. He's just yanking your chain. What this route is sandbagged. There's no way this is 5'5". Five five. This is like 5'8". D. On this episode, I have the opportunity to sit down with Brandon Pullen on his way through Thunder Bay. Likely many, if not most of you, will have heard of Brandon before. He's an alumni of kinesiology at Lakehead, spent five action-packed years living in Thunder Bay and doing heaps of climbing in the region, and has gone on to do a whole lot more. Brandon now lives in Canmore and is the editor-in-chief of Grip Magazine, as well as the author of a number of fantastic books, on top of continuing to do a whole bunch of awesome climbing and developing across the country. As you'll hear, Brandon has roped up and hung out with a ton of legendary climbers, including Sonny Trotter, Tommy Caldwell, Will Gadd, Barry Blanchard, Jim Elzinga, Marc-Andre Leclerc, David Smart, and Cedar Wright, among many others. He also mentions Sarah Hunikin, who it turns out is another graduate of Outdoor Rec at Lakehead, and has gone on to be one of the leading ice and mix climbers in the country. After we finished recording this already lengthy interview and were chatting over some beers, more and more interesting things kept coming up, and I had to turn the mic back on. To hear about the infamous story of bolting at the Centennial Park Bluffs, all the times that Brandon met Fred Becky, and the time that Cedar Wright rope-gunned him up Yamnuska, check back soon for a follow-up episode, because these stories were all way too good not to share. So with that, enjoy my conversation with Grip editor, author, and prolific first ascensionist, Brandon Pullen. Thanks for sitting down, Brandon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's sweet to have you here. Yeah, stoked to be back. Yeah, you're, you're kind of a legend around these parts. I, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't, like, I don't know. There's not that many folks that have come out of the T-Bay climbing scene and like made a full-on career out of it. So That's fair. That's fair. I, I have found a uh, way to like stay in climbing. Which is sweet. And that yeah. is thanks to Thunder Bay. That's awesome. And, and it's and not easy either. Uh, it, it, no, it wasn't easy. That's no, fair. it was I didn't. I didn't go right into it. Uh, came a little later, but I my I tried to be in climbing. I tried pretty hard, but it, that was just because being in Thunder Bay, I got to meet so many legends while I was here that I was like, they're still climbing. How can I keep climbing? And by working in climbing, maybe I can, you know, yeah, keep climbing. Totally. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's it's worked out so far. That's sweet. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's let's roll. Let's roll back a little bit. Let's talk about like your where are you from. Where'd you grow up? What'd you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm from Newmarket, Ontario. I lived in lots of houses growing up. My parents divorced the year I got here. I have two brothers, Kyle and Curtie, a couple of stepbrothers and sisters. Uh, my parents are remarried. And uh, yeah, I, I found climbing. When I was uh, 17 or 18, I was really into bodybuilding. I wanted to be a big, jacked up, okay. like massive. I, was, cool. I weighed 250 pounds. Whoa. And I had this rad girlfriend, Megan, and I got really sick. I got mono. Hmm. I went from 250 to like a buck 60 in three months. Couldn't move. 
and I swore I'd never lift another weight. And I was 18, and my girlfriend was 1998, um, 42. Uh, she said, "Why don't you try climbing?" I tried climbing, and she took my she took me climbing. Sweet. And we went to Rock and Chalk mm -hmm. in Newmarket, and I met Sonny. My first day, he was there. No way. Climbing, and I was like, "Who's this guy?" And everyone's like, "That's Sonny." That's I was wild. like crazy. I didn't know anything about climbing at the time. Nothing. I mean, huh. nothing. But it was 1998. So climbing was definitely a thing. Right. And then, uh, yeah, I kept going back and then I got a job there. And my buddy was like, you, you should, when you go to university, you should go to Thunder Bay. That's where I go. There's a lot of climbing. Mm -hmm. And that was a guy named Glenn Tremblay who came here and was a big part of the outdoor rec program. Okay. Never heard of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was here and like probably came up 98, 99. And then he left. He lives out in Salt Spring Island now, I think. Cool. And, uh, yeah, it was because of him, I came here and I, I showed up to Lakehead and they put you in a room and I got teamed up with this guy named Johnny Banfield and we mm -hmm. got put in the marathon house at residence on at Lakehead. I never met this dude in my life and he was full of energy and he was completely fit and strong and psyched and kind of nutty. Awesome. And, uh, he had never really climbed, but he was into fitness and he met some dudes somehow we all went to Alpine Club of Canada meetups mm -hmm. early on because we were all interested in climbing in the outdoors. He was in the outdoor rec program. I was in the kinesiology program. And yeah, we went out to the uh, to the bluffs together. He got tied in with some dudes like uh, Randy Reed, Steve Charlton, um, uh, Bernst, uh, Matt Pellet, Jeff Hamrick. Awesome. Right away. And he introduced me to that crew. And I was right away just hooked. Amazing. That's a good crew to get introduced to. It was a crew. They'd been, they'd been crushing stuff since the mid-90s and putting up some, you know, at that time, like, cutting-edge lines. For sure. Around here, um, out in Orient Bay and other places. And so, you know, he was strong and smart and confident. And he was thrown in the sharp end. And he was, he was one of the best climbers that they'd brought on. He was, like, 1920. At the time, I wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah, it took me a long time to get to that point, but I yeah. was stoked and keen to like learn. Awesome. And being in around that energy of those people at that time, full campsites at Orient Bay, mm -hmm. big parties, the Festivus, watching them put up roots. That just like that set a base of like, here we go. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that that all that all makes it all kind of make sense. Like that's yeah. a that's a pretty intense initiation to climbing. That was the initiation. I continued to do the Alpine Club of Canada meetups uh, every week because they were, you know, you had a membership with the ACC. They were pretty much free. Frank Pianca, Nick Buda, that whole crew. They were really nice, really generous, mm -hmm. awesome at uh, uh, teaching us everything they knew about setting up top rope anchors with webbing mm -hmm. off trees at mm -hmm. the bluffs. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so right away there was a good base. There was a good community. We came into a strong climbing community in Thunder Bay that was nice and open and they were willing to, to teach us young people how to like be gnarly. That's so and awesome. They, and they wanted us to be gnarly. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways I like kind of think about that era as like the golden age of, it's like, it was like the golden age of Yosemite that everybody talks about in the seventies. I feel like I think of like late nineties, early two thousands as the golden age of T-Bay climbing. I, I, yeah, I, I, I would agree because those are my mentors, right? You know, um, the people from the 1980s, like Paul and Sean, mm -hmm. those people weren't around. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have an opportunity to watch them or learn from them, mm -hmm. but I got to learn from these people. Mm -hmm. And from what I understood from climbing, they were doing it really well. And yeah, they, it seems like it for sure. They're well trained. They were well, they're efficient, they're mm -hmm. smart and they're safe. 
Nice. And so we, for me, I was just like, okay, I I had never been to Squamish yet, the mm-hmm. Rockies. I had been to, to Yosemite mm-hmm. at that time, and I was like, from Southern Ontario, from a small climbing community on the escarpment, to here, this was just like it was just such a step up. Totally. And they just seemed like the right people to be learning from. Wow. At that time, I can imagine a better group to learn from. Yeah. I'm jealous, honestly. Wish I'd been there. I wish everybody could have, like, two weeks with that crew in yeah. Orient Bay or at the Bluffs at that time because they were, everybody was fired up. That's awesome. Yeah, there, there was just, like, the mentality was, like, let's go climbing. And there was no, there was no complications. There was no arguments. There was no, like, community hate towards each other there were no little groups it mm-hmm. was just like we're all climbers mm-hmm. let's just go climbing that's sweet yeah that's so great yeah and i mean yeah I've, i haven't had the chance to climb with a lot of those folks but i did have the chance to to hang out with steve this this summer and got to have steve on the show which was really sweet steve's episode uh well by the time this comes out steve's episode will already be out um but yeah just such great great folks and i mean there's lots of the folks you mentioned are folks that i'm definitely hoping to sit down with i mean Jody Burns bought past Lake. Like, <laughs> that's a hero move right there. Yeah, you know, that crew, when, when I left, and this is the thing with Thunder Bay, is a lot of people come here from other places, they get their feet wet, or they cut their teeth, um, and then they leave, they go elsewhere. And mm-hmm. a lot of them don't come back, mm-hmm. um, but they definitely came through here. I mean, you look at some great, uh, like Sean Isaac, he went to university here, he learned to ice climb here. Cool. You know, he went on to be one of Canada's best, best climbers. Really? Never, never heard the name. Sean Isaac. Yeah. Yeah, definitely look up Sean Isaac. I will. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Sarah Hunikin, who just married Will Gadd, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she went to university here. Really? I had no idea. 90% sure she went to university oh, no here. no way. Have to That's fact cool. check that one. I will. Yeah. And then um, there's a group of other climbers who came through here. And just ended up out west because you pass through here, you go to university here, mm-hmm. and then you're like, wow, there's big climbing, and then wow, Canmore's not far now. Let's mm-hmm. go to Canmore. But for me, this group has always stood out as like uh, exceptional, and the climbing here is beyond exceptional. So it's always kept me coming back and coming back through and hearing that guys like Steve are still around or mm-hmm. other people are also passing through just makes it all the better. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, there's like some, some deep roots and some like deep dedication to the scene. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, and you bought past lake. Yeah, exactly. And Jody thank bought you. past lake. Yeah, like, thank yeah. you. Thanks. Thank, thank you, you Jody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you see Jody around, buy him a beer. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Buy him a couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, sweet. Well, I mean, all these folks are, are epic for sure, but you've also done some pretty sweet stuff in your own right, even just talking about Northern Ontario. So let's, let's start there. Um, I mean, you've been putting up roots basically since like the time that you're talking about like when when did you put up your first route in Thunder Bay yeah I was just talking to Derek Patola about that uh, when I came here I was in that I was with this crew of the Alpine Club of Canada and then with the Orient Bay crew but I had been doing a lot of sport climbing on the escarpment before I got here mm-hmm. and so sport climbing was a natural thing that I saw that should be taking place mm-hmm. and so early on um, I wanted to bolt roots mec sold really cheap bolts and hangers it was like Sweet. a buck for the oh, combo man. now it's like wow. six to eight bucks for the it's combo the good old days. yeah yeah <laughs> and uh they had cheap shipping and so i needed a drill the alpine club of canada wouldn't lend their drill out to anybody 
And so I bought a drill off eBay in 2001. Mm -hmm. It was a Hilti TE-10A, and the battery was dead. It didn't have a battery. I think I got it for 100 bucks, and it got shipped to my place on Macker Avenue. And so I, I called Derek uh, Patola, and he rigged up three motorcycle batteries for me. No way. And we had uh, an extension cord. Wow, that's that's some old school shit right there. It was a heavy drill. Yeah. And yeah, I went to work. I'm 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 almost certain that the first route I put up was shenanigans okay. at Lost Falls, which I looked at yesterday and I wanted to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, we'll go up to Lost Falls and maybe try shenanigans. And mm -hmm. then I went up and looked at it. I was like, I'm not trying that. <laughs> that thing needs like seven more bolts. I don't know what we were thinking. And then, uh, and then I think I bolted the one left of it up that arete called Hazy Waves. Yeah, great route. And then I did that thing yesterday, and I think it's changed a bit, but it was mostly the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the book says that like some holds broke, but like the grade's still about the same. The grade's the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then we did some stuff on Mount Godfrey, and then right. Silver Harbor, and then um, Pass Lake. I think I put up one route at Pass Lake. And then Orient Bay. And then it was just finding walls that to me looked good. Mm -hmm. I was like 21, 22. I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I probably had no right to be doing it. But it, I had a, a friend named uh, Stephen Gale from Australia whose father was a famous mountaineer. And Steve was a really good mountaineer in his own right. Oh, wow. So he was the dude who taught me how to ice climb, really. Him and some other people. But it was really Steve and I would put in like 100 days a year. We'd borrow his roommate's car. We'd drive out to Orient Bay and do all these ice climbs. But he'd come out with me and sit with me and like he kind of show me the best way to put up roots mm -hmm. and uh, um, yeah and then put up a route called Echoes out at Mount Godfrey because that thing just stood out as like such a cool line mm -hmm. and it took it I think I bolted it in fall or winter it was snowing and and Steve would just sit up on the, the top and just watch me and yeah it was a really cool day mm -hmm. yeah even though I was like ripping bolts into this ancient wall mm -hmm. yeah at that time it seemed to make a lot of sense yeah yeah and i think a lot of those routes went on to be like people liked them i didn't know at the time and i couldn't do that i didn't do the first free ascent of that. i couldn't climb that hard i had my friend jason thorne do it mm -hmm. and a lot of the routes i bolted i couldn't climb so other people would do them i know the feeling yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that continued to be a theme until yeah. <laughs> now really for sure <laughs> yeah yeah i um and so that's how that started, putting up roots. There was just, it looked like the, there could be roots, there weren't roots. Mm -hmm. And it looked like it would make a lot of sense to bolt roots. There was a lot of pushback. Mm. Yeah. Juicy. There, yeah, there was <laughs> a lot of pushback in the first few months or Like year. specifically people that weren't into seeing sport climbing becoming a thing or? There, you know, there were out-of-towners, mm -hmm. um, young, mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. Power drills. There hadn't been mm. a lot of power drills here. Been a lot of hand drilling before that. A lot of hand drilling. There was uh, there was a dude from uh, France, Europe, or something had put up some routes at Pass Lake, and there had been like one bolt route at the Bluffs. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a lot of power drills going on. I think we were probably the first team. Me and Will Minan and John Banfield and Noel Gingrich and Stephen Gale to like be in our early twenties with a power drill. Uh, Dave Benton, Jeff Hamrick, those dudes were putting up some serious trad routes mm -hmm. um, on the Chiller Pillar Wall, Lost Falls, Orient Bay. Mm -hmm. um, but nobody was really Rat Bolton routes. We right. went straight to Rat Bolton. Right. And I didn't know really if it was, I didn't understand the ethics. I didn't understand um, uh, there was a history about uh, Rat Bolton ground up uh, 
stuff, adventure climbing, mm -hmm. that went back a long time in southern Ontario, Quebec, up here, out west, in the States. Totally. I was just keen, stoked, and I saw these walls, and it made sense. Some of the bolts got chopped. Did they? Uh-huh. Uh, I had one or two ropes go missing. Oh, yeah, like, you, like, had, like, a little stash spot and stuff. I'd leave a rope hanging on a, on a project, and yeah. then it would go missing, okay. as well as, like, some anchor bolts. Okay. Never found out who did it. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it, it might not even, even climbers, could have been landowners. That's true, dude. Could have yeah. been hikers. Totally. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was, it was a fun time, because we were young, and we, we felt like we were bringing in a cool style of climbing that hadn't been here. Mm -hmm. that seemed safer i had done a lot of the trad routes here and they were some of them were quite dangerous and run out spicy loose full of lichen for sure and we were we were scrubbing holds bolting so you wouldn't deck mm -hmm. low bolts close bolts nothing to run out mm -hmm. and uh yeah 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 and then we did that for a few years and then everybody left right yeah onto onto other things yeah i mean that's probably all really interesting for people to hear because these days you know, sport climbing is sport climbing is sport climbing. You know, no one would even. No, there was it wasn't a, it, sport climbing wasn't sport climbing at the time. I mean, uh, the sport climbing was pretty new in the nineties, in the late eighties mm -hmm. and nineties, and and uh, all around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and here, which has a very traditional um, approach, which is awesome, mm -hmm. and I think it really helped me become the climber I became. Totally. When I, I went to that. the mountains and did a lot of alpine climbing, it was yeah, because not, I... Not rappled and into the mountains, that's for sure. I had a base here. But I but I knew that there was a, a part of the community that didn't want to approach climbing the way that other people had approached climbing, which was um, glory or death. Right. Which was, don't fall because you're going to get hurt. Some people just want to have fun. And right. gym climbing was just kind of coming in. I mean, Rockheads had been around for about eight years when I came here. Mm -hmm. This place had had a gym in the mid-90s. Yeah. I think called Flying Monkey or something. Yeah, Funky Monkey. Funky Monkey. Yeah. And uh, uh, dude named, okay, dude named Graham Black. My first year at university, this was another part. So there's the Orient Bay crew, the Alpine Club of Canada, Canada crew. Mm -hmm. And then there was Graham Black. Graham Black had a house somewhere not too far from the university. And we caught wind, I think, through Jeff Hamrick or Dave Benton, um, that this dude named Graham Black had a garage with a climbing gym called La Tienda. Mm. And if you found him and you found the wall, you could pay him money and you could go for the season. We used to walk. This was first year university, year 2000. We'd walk across the field that went down towards uh, the lake, uh, towards, I forget what road it is. And then we'd walk across through a few blocks. It'd be blowing snow, like minus 40. We'd be bundled up in Sierra Design stuff we just bought from the local shop mm -hmm. on some crazy student discount. And we'd show up and we'd go in and it was, a, it was a small shed, but big enough. There was pictures of climbing all over the walls and old magazines. Um, so at old then, was from the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And milk crates full of climbing shoes, holds, and Allen keys, and one heater. And when you got in there, it was so cold. It was like you're... Your shoes were, were hard, and you had to put them on the heater, let them warm up. You had a beer, and then, um, yeah, you would session. And that's how most of us passed that first year who were climbers. Mm -hmm. We hung out in this garage, and I have a few photos of it. It's really cool. And there was probably, like, 20 problems. All the footholds were beer caps. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was, Graham Black was a climber here. He did a lot of climbing. I don't know what happened to him. 
I've never heard that name either. Yeah, he was he was part of that outdoor rec program at the turn of uh, the millennium. That were they were pretty, uh, they were part of that golden age of climbing. Cool. A lot there were a lot more climbers. There was a lot of climbers then. Mm-hmm. Everybody seemed to be a climber because the outdoor rec program sent people out climbing. I don't know if they still do that. And so yeah, we hung out at this place called La Tienda, and that was a big part of us. Um, uh, coming together as a community, you know, there were no phones, nobody right. could, nobody could, uh, post from La Tienda. Mm-hmm. You were just in there when you were in there, you're just in your own little bubble. And I'm sure there were other climbing gyms just like that all across North America and around the world at that time when climbing holds were being sold to people to build home walls. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool. That is really cool. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a, that's a different era for sure. Yeah, so you had, like, indoor training going on mm-hmm. in people's garages, mm-hmm. which hadn't happened, really, until this time. And you had a bunch of young people that I, I met the right people at the right time. They all showed up at the right time, the right place, with the right attitude. Will Minan, he was a sponsored mountain hardware athlete, cool. and he was a huge mentor for me, even though he was younger than me. He was definitely the dude who, like, really helped me break through to harder things and, like, did a lot of ground up things here with Andy Gallant and Cama Bay. They put up some crazy routes that have never been repeated. Cool. Rock and ice. And, uh, yeah, that was just, it was just a collection of people who, um, I hope that other generations get that in the future just to have that energy. Totally. But the sport climbing thing was, it just made sense to us that we should bolt some of these walls. They were just too cool looking to be climbed and top roping just seemed you know, we, we weren't top rope in the cracks. You got to lead the cracks, mm-hmm. you know, so why not lead the walls? Yeah. So, yeah, that's why we bolted. But there was a bit of pushback, but not a lot. There was, we had, we made a lot of enemies early, but mm-hmm. we were young and we just didn't know better. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people at that time didn't have space for um, 21-year-olds showing up and retro-bolting their sweet walls. Yeah, that, that's... Yeah. I which mean, it's, it's which makes sense. Yeah, yeah no, I get it. No, no, and... <laughs> Since then, a lot, I've learned a lot, and a lot has changed in the world of climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so climbers now, it's like, oh, there's bolts, there's there's sport climbing. Um, but yeah, it wasn't always like that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it feels weird, because like I'm part of that era where it wasn't always like that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, that's like, yeah, it's you, you've seen some history. <laughs> yeah, it's been sweet to watch the history and see some people come and go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's one one specific route that I want to ask you about, mm-hmm. which um, in Eric's beautiful book, mm-hmm. um, uh, he said you put up one route at Pass Lake. Maybe this is the one. Maybe there are others. But um, building an ego five eleven, yeah. which in in the book it describes as your your first ground up bolting adventure. Right. Um, do, you, do you have like close memories of that? I have, yeah, I actually was telling a, uh, Derek a story about that yesterday. Okay, great. Because I've always like I've looked at that route a number of times and been like, man, like what a bold choice to bolt that thing on lead like that's stiff. well were you going bolt to bolt kind of deal yeah. like like aid bolting yeah okay that makes it make more sense <laughs> yeah yeah no i wasn't like freeing it and bolting it okay. like i i went on to do that mm-hmm. on routes even on yamesco with andy genero i put up a route called the direct direct cool um where we led bolt mm-hmm. and i've done that on lots of routes mm-hmm. um but at that time no, i was going bolt to bolt or with one aid move between mm-hmm. like a hook yeah or something and so I bolted that and then it was pretty chossy mm-hmm. and so then I wrap cleaned it and did these things and then there was at that time so this was 
a different cohort of climbers. This was Jason Thorne and Dave Harima. Um, this is before Kyle Brooks or Duncan were climbing. This okay. is just before them. Okay. So I was like in third year university, 2003. Or f 2003, I think I put that up. And so when we were working on the first ascent, I invited those guys out to try mm -hmm. it. And I had them in ascent. I had just gone up it and went down it. Mm -hmm. And Dave tried to send it. And he was pulling on a block and it fell off. Oh, wow. And hit him right in the face. God. I want to say the cheek. It could have been his forehead. And it smoked him really good. And it was sharp. Dang. And it split him. And there was just blood pouring down his face. And I was videotaping him with an old handheld camcorder. <laughs> and I probably have the grainy footage somewhere. Right. But he just like shook it off and the blood went everywhere, splattered yeah. him. And he kept climbing. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's some 90s shit right there. Yeah, yeah. But that was, that was, I watched some video, I forget the video, of somebody doing something ground up. And mm -hmm. I was like, we could do that. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But no, it's mostly bolt to bolt. Right. Yeah. That, <laughs> no, it that was, does make it make Yeah, it was straight so. up bolt to bolt. Yeah. Cool. It was just like high step yeah. of a bolt. Yeah. Put in a bolt. Yeah. Cool. But it went back. I don't know if anybody climbs that route. Oh, for sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I mean, I think it's got stars in the book. Okay. Yeah. Eric's pretty friendly with his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's another question I wanted to ask you. So, um, I believe the book says that it was ground up rope solo. Is that true? Yeah, it was. So what, is, is that something you still do a lot of? What was your ground up rope solo system at the time? It was just off a tree. Just off a tree and with a Grigory on the waist? It was a Grigory on the waist and a tree cool. and I had a pack with, I had a short rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have a full rope, okay. and I pack with some uh, the rope in it, and as I went up, I was just like hooking. I actually put boulders up that I stood on to put in the first bolt. Nice. And then I was just going bolt to bolt, mm -hmm. literally like clipped in direct, mm -hmm. and I had a. I never like fell on it. I never had to weight it. Mm -hmm. And it was just straight doing that. Cool. Yeah. And ha is is like lead rope soloing something you've continued to do, or only two other routes? Okay. Yeah, only two other. Roots. Am I missing anything? No, two roots. Right when I moved out west, there's a, a wall called McGivery Slabs. Mm -hmm. And it's right when you're coming into Canmore, it's on the left. It's just past Hart Mountain. Okay. There's a factory and a lake. You pass it, and there's this big slab. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, I put up two roots McGillivere Nearing mm -hmm. and uh, another one that's named after a tree. And I did those ground up rope solo. Cool. Yeah, bolting. Yeah, and Sweet. then I was like, "This is silly. This is such. Okay. A, this is so stupid." That's yeah. fair. Yeah, and at that time I was still using that big hilti. Right. Yeah. With the extension cord. With the extension cord, so it was lighter because the battery. It was a thirty meter extension cord. Yeah. The battery is in the backpack. Right. At the anchor. That is that is some old school shit. Like that that is something I bet you a lot of listeners will have never heard of. Is the era where drills were wired to a battery bank on the ground. Three motorcycle or, batteries ran in parallel or whatever. Just with a, an outlet, and mm -hmm. you just plug right into it, and it was run. It was wired into the drill. Yeah. Yeah. That's... And you would just climb with it on a sling, just like you would now. Just a crazy fire hazard. Nothing about it seemed safe. <laughs> and so, like I accidentally, like sometimes you'd reach down and clip, and you'd have gloves on because you might be aiming mm -hmm. or whatever, and you don't realize you clipped like your clip the extension cord. Yeah, clip the extension cord. <laughs> You're like, oops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. No, it was janky. Like it was not. None of the none of those systems were like fine-tuned mm -hmm. none of them looked good mm -hmm. and none of them are recommended but at the time it was just like learning what not to do really totally yeah and and past like didn't have all those sport routes at the time mm -hmm. and i was kind of 
I called it building ego because I was just like, I was feeling kind of like I had that edge coming on in mm-hmm. my climbing where I'm like, okay, I'm starting to feel pretty confident with my skills and what yeah. I'm doing. Time to go do something scary. Yeah. But it was so misplaced. Right. Because ego and climbing is ultimately like. True. So silly. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're in your early twenties, you don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you. That, <laughs> yeah. That's just. And of all the lines that pass like to pick, when you look at that line, it's like, mm-hmm. why that line? True, yeah, there, I mentioned at that time there were a lot of other, like, now it's pretty, pretty full. But there was a lot time, of top rope routes. Right. And the old guide was like, don't bolt these routes. And from, Interesting. And from what I could tell, it was the only line that hadn't been top roped. Ah, okay. That's why it took it. It's such a weird line. Like, right. I was looking at, the, I was there the other day, I looked yeah. at it, I was like, this is the weirdest looking line. <laughs> there you go. That's funny. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that the old bolt, or the old book had said that, rather. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, you weren't allowed to bolt huh. the old Alex, Alex Jones? Alex Jones. Right. I think Alex Jones guy book was right, like, yeah. don't bolt top rope roots. It was huh. a no-no. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly a vibe that has changed. That's changed. Yeah. Yeah. That was like that at Silver Harbor too. I mean, I, I bolted a few routes there. That one route returned to sender mm-hmm. wasn't a top rope route and that was the first route I bolted there because mm. it just hadn't been top roped. Right. Yeah, I cleaned it and bolted it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you talked a bit about like, you know, how you were here and you moved away, but you still keep coming back. You want to talk a bit about what that's like, what your connection to Thunder Bay is still and why you keep coming back and... I think it's multiple reasons. I think for anybody who's been here, they know that the forests, the lakes, and the rocks aren't like anything else in Canada. I've climbed um, Newfoundland and Quebec all out west and up north, and there's just something really unique and special about what this place has to offer. I don't know what it is. I can't put it into words. Hmm. But I think anybody who's been here and experienced some adventures here, they know what I'm talking about. And then there's the people and the people here are really sweet and nice um, from the locals, even though you might hear, I've heard some rumors that it's a little rough. (laughs) Ultimately, you can find some gems here. Totally. And the climbing community, even though it's small, is historic and there are some people who will always be here. And so to come and see them and say hi Mm -hmm. And to revisit old routes, to go walk by and climb some old routes that, you know, you cut your teeth on, um, and to try them again. Like I climbed Orange Crush today out at the Smoke Lofts. Cool. Yeah. Stands the test of time. It's still hard. Yeah. 5.11 B top rope routes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) Pretty hard. (laughs) Pretty hard. Yeah. yeah, Pretty hard. (laughs) And to go like try some of the routes that I had put up and Mm -hmm. to be like, oh, I did, I should have put a bolt here. Right. I was stupid or mm-hmm. I, sh- the, the grade was way wrong or why did I pick this line? Mm-hmm. It's just a nice like way to remind yourself that you're changing as you get older, but this place and these roots, they're going to like, they'll, they'll stay the same. This rock is solid. Mm-hmm. This is strong rock. I've mm-hmm. put up roots out West and they've completely changed because the rock is so different. Right. These roots are pretty solid once you get to the good Yeah, stuff. once you scrape yeah, down. Once you to get the, to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think all those reasons, um, people, the place, mm-hmm. just uh, to make new memories too. Cool. Because I find you can come here and make pretty quick, awesome memories. Totally. Yeah. Like this with you. Yeah, yeah. Here we are. We've never yeah, met yeah. before. Yeah. And this look is how great. deep yeah, we've we're gone. talking about climbing. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, have you ever, like, 
like uh, retro bolted any of your own roots from the past? Like, have you ever come back to something and been like, oh, that needs one more? Um, uh, no, because bolts are expensive now. This is but true. you can retro bolt any root I've ever put up. Oh, gear, that's that's gear, a that's a generous offer. Gear sport or alpine. Wow. Okay. I don't care. Safety is more important than um, proven anything, in my opinion. Cool. I appreciate that. And Plus, you already proved it, anyways. So. Yeah, some of my roots are might be run out. Mm -hmm. um, not at the time doing that purposefully, but mm -hmm. with the way that uh, safety has gone on roots. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, if you're if you're sport climbing, if it's a bolted root, mm -hmm. you shouldn't get hurt. Totally. It shouldn't be a high first bolt, unless it's a stick clip zone and you say it's a stick clip. Mm -hmm. The second bolt shouldn't be weirdly run out. Mm -hmm. It should be safe. And everybody at every height should feel safe because we have people coming into climbing who don't care about your ego or how ballsy you were. Mm -hmm. They're just coming up to climb a grade totally. with hopefully a nice name associated with it. Yeah, that's another whole conversation. And yeah. so, you know, like I think if it's a bolted route, make it safe. If it's steep and high... Big fall zone, sure. Put the bolt mm -hmm. after the crux. Mm -hmm. But anything short, I think that... So if I have any roots out there that are dangerous, bolt them up. Cool. Bolt them up. I, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I was... Uh, like, I climbed that hazy waves route yesterday. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, the first second bolt, I was like, what am I doing? I was like, <laughs> I should have put another bolt there. Mm. So, no, I think... And I don't think that's an age thing. I think that's just, like, that's where climbing's gone. True. Sport climbing should be safe. Mm -hmm. Mixed climbing is different. Trad climbing, purely trad climbing is different. And alpine climbing is different. It's case-by-case -case mm -hmm. scenario. Totally. Every one of these styles of climbing requires its own set of rules. And every area has its own ethics. Mm -hmm. And it all has to be respected. But, uh, yeah, I've put up lots of roots. I've never added bolts. Actually, I did. In Mexico, I put up a route. And somebody busted their leg on it. Oh wow! And I bolt. I, re I went up and put another bolt in it. Right. Yeah, that's some, that's a good incentive to I like, like have that ethic of safety first. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's my bad. Totally. Yeah, I've also put up uh, an alpine route. Me and Will Mine and put up an alpine route on Reed's Ridge near Sparrowhawk, Mount Sparrowhawk in Kananaskis Country, as a four pitch mixed route. We gave it M three. We called it Corn Cobs Coor. <laughs> and uh, two dudes went and sold it the next weekend, and one they fell down the whole thing, and one guy died. And Whoa. I'm not going to go down this. I can get yeah. I pretty deep into That's the heavy. morose part of climbing. but Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Safety is important. Safety is important. You, at the end of the day, you want to get home. Totally. And know? especially when we're talking sport climbing. Especially when we're yeah. talking sport climbing. <laughs> yeah. You want to go scare yourself <laughs> in the mountains, that's a whole other thing. But Sport climbing close to town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. You wanna, yeah. Yeah. But I think adventure routes are important too, and you have to have those. Totally. So, yeah, it's case yeah. by case. It's case by case, yeah. And when people are getting on an adventure route, they, but they for, generally know they're getting on an adventure route. But for anybody who comes on to any one of my routes ever, if you want to add a bolt, do it. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh-huh. I appreciate that ethic for sure. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so it's crazy how much we just talked about, and that was only like five years we're talking about here. That was, yeah, 2000 to like 2004, five-ish. I would leave a lot of the summers to travel out west. Mm -hmm. I, I started going out west during the summers to climb, road mm -hmm. trip, mm -hmm. knowing that I wanted to move out there ultimately. Right. Coming back, the the falls, the springs, the winters, I'd be here. So fall and spring, putting up roots, climbing, and then the, the winters were ice climbing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But yeah, it was all in four or five years. There was a lot packed in. I look at photos and I'm just like, wow. 
what a what an awesome group of people to spend time with in, in such a beautiful place and then a lot of them just kind of stopped climbing or they got injured mm -hmm. as a lot of people do mm -hmm. and then I I left and then you left yeah so where'd you go I got in my 1988 Chevy S10 uh, pickup truck named Bluto with white <laughs> uh, racing stripes painted on it and a moose skull strapped to the front. Sick. With uh, It was uh, five speed with my buddy Ozzy Steve, Steve Gale in the passenger seat. We drove out west. Cool. And I dropped him off in Calgary and I went to uh, Canmore and I started to bang nails basically. Just cool. started to do trade work. Cool. Yeah. I wanted to climb. Uh, at that time I wanted to be a climbing guide. Mm-hmm. And so I just went to Canmore, and Canmore was booming, 2005. Um, if you weren't making 30 bucks an hour cash doing a trade you didn't understand, right. you were really trying hard not to do it. People right. were coming to coffee shops looking for employees. Wow. All the houses that were built in that time probably don't pass code, <laughs> but a lot of climbers made a lot of money. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was just living in my truck, moved in with some buddies, and yeah, I ended up in Canmore. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. And stuck around for a while? Stayed in Canmore uh, more or less for the past uh, 17 years with a brief move to Squamish to, to guide for cool. Squamish Rock Guides Cool. Mm -hmm, in 2010. Sweet. Yeah. Are you ACMG certified or? Uh, I, w I was ACMG Assistant Rock Guide cool. certified. Sweet. That's now an apprentice rock guide. They changed things. Okay. I did my exam in like 2008 or 2009 and I got into that. Cool. Yeah. Super sweet. And then, yeah, I moved out west, and uh, I was climbing strong, because I was living here, mm -hmm. you know? So, yep. you're climbing 5'10 here, you're climbing 5'11 out west. There you go, hey, he said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and uh, I went out to rock climb, and ice climb, and that just, it evolved into alpine climbing. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, there's mountains out there. There's, there's everything you want out there. Out west, it's just like here, just on a bigger scale, right? And can be more, can be anything you want it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, there's day trips, there's epics, there's overnighters, there's grade six north faces, uh, there's unclimbed mountains still. So it, it seemed like the right place to be for a mid twenty year old, kind of living out of a crappy pickup truck. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And were you were you doing any writing at that point in time? When does writing come into the picture? So how the writing started was when I. Moved to Thunder Bay. Okay. Um, and I started climbing. It was probably my second or third year. I was probably 22 or 23. And there was no magazines. None of them rockinized climbing, gripped, helping us talking about Thunder Bay. None mm -hmm. of them. I was blown away. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I couldn't write. I sucked at writing. And I would just send emails, hotmail, um, to all these magazines and just tell them that I, I will write for free. Mm -hmm. and give them free photos if they talk about Thunder Bay climbing. Cool. Because it's so rad, and there's like, nobody knows about it. Mm -hmm. You know, fast forward 20 years, and it's kind of the same. It but is. Here we yeah, are. Yeah, We're yeah. making a podcast to yeah, try yeah, and tell like, people about it. To try and tell people about it. So yeah. at the time, I was... And so Gript would let me write an article, uh, climbing or rock and ice would let mm -hmm. me write an article. And then I would travel, and I would offer... Uh, I would be like, I just went here. Um, I will write about it for free with photos. Like, here you go. Mm -hmm. At that time, I didn't realize like that. It, I didn't want to be a writer. I didn't care. I just was trying to expose areas that I found interesting to other people. Mm -hmm. What we know now is social, well, social media. Mm -hmm. It's so easy that you just send photos to somebody that you just climbed at the time. 
you go climbing and you t- we didn't have digital cameras mm-hmm. or digital cameras were coming in, but we had like still photos, mm-hmm. uh, like film and they get developed and you could like, there was no way to like share this in a good way. You could send it over the computer, but take 30 minutes to upload <laughs> and like it, it would be grainy. It was brutal. And so I was like the best way to share the info. Now you would just put on social media mm-hmm. magazines to me at that time was like my social media. Totally. They were letting me do it. Cool. All the magazines. Cool. Um, in several issues. Mm-hmm. And I just had to send photos and a story and every once in a while somebody would send me money, but I, I didn't care. I was working. It was just, it was just to share the information cool. from areas that I thought were cool writing about people and places. And so that's, that's how I started writing. I didn't care about it. I didn't want to write. I really didn't like reading. Mm-hmm. I just thought other people might be interested in these areas. And it started with Thunder Bay, Sweet. the ice climbing really. And then the Nipigon Ice Fest, I covered that mm-hmm. when I was young and then the rock climbing and then just everywhere I went and then some, they would start asking me to, to cover things and mm-hmm. write about things Cool. and it just evolved from there. And then it was, I was 26 and I moved to the Rockies. I was putting up roots. I was super cocky and I was getting lots of enemies out West <laughs> and I was emailing lots of companies. I was like, you should sponsor me. I was like, you should sponsor me. Why not sponsor me? Mm-hmm. I was banging nails, like doing carpentry and paint houses and laying tile, mm-hmm. living in a pickup truck, putting up roots, climbing my heart out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I'm writing about climbing. I was like, why wouldn't the company sponsor me? So Wild Country agreed to sponsor me. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, they sponsored me for four years. Wild, I was their only Canadian athlete. Cool. I didn't to know this that. day, I've, I'm their only Canadian athlete. Wow. Red Chili Shoes, Stefan Glowitz sponsored me. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So they were sending me gear, yeah. like, to the post office, and I was in a truck, so I had to go get it. Mm-hmm. And I had random places that I lived with, with friends from here, because a lot of people from Thunder Bay ended up in Canmore. Mm-hmm. And so I got on these teams, and I kind of sucked at climbing. I've always kind of sucked at all, all at climbing, like, but overall I'm okay. Right. You know? Like an all-rounder. I'm an all-rounder. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll go for beers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Climbing's really hard. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like I'm in that boat as well. Yeah. Like, at my, at my heyday, I could climb okay, and I could put up some cool roots. Um, but, you know, somebody once told me that um, if you're a climber for life, um, you're in a relationship with climbing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always going to be good to you. You're not always going to be good to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to take a lot away from you, but sometimes it's going to give you a lot. It's just mm-hmm. a relationship. You have to understand that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're going to climb hard. Sometimes you're not going to climb well. Sometimes you're going to get hurt. Totally. And so once you realize that, you can be once a 513 climber, but still have fun on a 5'8". Totally. Because you realize it's just like maybe you'll climb 513 again one day, but you're coming back from an injury. Yeah. And so I think that positive attitude resonated with, um, you know, just my peers. Mm-hmm who uh, were willing to like embrace that. And so that's why I got pulled into a lot of circles, whether it was cool. Wild Country or the magazines, the publications, mm-hmm. or just some of the older climbing crowds mm-hmm. uh, who became my mentors out West. I cli- started climbing with a lot of old dudes like Barry Blanchard. Cool. I got to climb with like Will Gad, mm-hmm. it was Callan and Jim Melzinga and Chris Perry. Sweet. I, yeah, yeah, I can go on about all that. But yeah. it's just, I think going into it being stoked and positive and just having an ego but also understanding that at the end of the day there's you kind of suck at climbing right and there's always going to be better climbers oh for sure yeah Yeah. unless you're adam andre there's always something better (laughs) yeah 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 i've never no he did go ice climbing (laughs) he was probably really good at it probably yeah 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 yeah. 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 he's mono and 
ice pick balls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, it's cool. I, I appreciate the, the vibe of like, you know, being in it for the love of climbing, not being in it for the grades. And I think, I, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was, maybe it was an Alan Watts podcast. Somebody, some, some OG from the States talking about how he still climbs and is stoked on it, but he had lots of friends that got hurt or got busy or whatever and couldn't climb the grades they used to climb. And so got out of it. Right. But he's like, you know, climbing less hard than he used to. Of course, he's fucking Alan Watts. But he's still stoked, you know, and that's why he's still in it. And, like, the people that he still climbs with of his generation are the ones that were just stoked on climbing, not stoked on being the best. I've had the great fortune to be uh, around climbing for almost 25 years now and still alive Mm -hmm. to, like, reflect on it, which Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends aren't, which is tragic. Mm -hmm. But I've seen a lot of people come into climbing and then leave climbing. Maybe mm-hmm. they had some sort of expectation. Maybe they got what they wanted from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that I still climb with from those days know they're not going to be who they were once. Right. But they're just stoked to rope up. Totally. They're just happy to go to the crag. Absolutely. And have fun yeah. mo- moving up something. For sure. And it's good, you know, get the blood flowing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a great activity at every level. Yeah. That's sweet. Um... Oh, so we didn't, we didn't quite get to, so you're, you moved to the West, you're writing articles, they're getting published sometimes, getting sponsored by Wild Country. Where, where does, <laughs> Which where is does, hilarious. It me. is hilarious. I was yeah. like, I was surrounded by climbers a hundred times better. Right. But I was the, the, the squeaky wheel. Right. Yeah. You know, so you're like, if you're the squeaky wheel, you're going to get the grease. So just keep on bugging people and eventually totally. they'll just give you something. Yeah, no, good thing. Yeah, yeah, no, I was surrounded by, so I was surrounded, so I was surrounded by better climbers, especially when I got to Canmore. Everybody was crushing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, at that time I was, had come from a strong ice climbing background here, mm-hmm. getting into rock, uh, um, the alpine rock climbing there. But I met a climber at Lake Louise and I just put up a route on Yamnuska. Uh, did it ground up with friends. Sweet. Uh, had to get Sunny to try to come free it. Nice. The first pitch. It's like 12 plus. And it's, uh, I call it hot dog in it. Cool. Just straight up like ski yeah. show off. Yeah. And I was at Lake Louise and some old local was like, he came up, he's like, get out of here. He's like, stop bolting our walls. He's like, you're nothing but an Eastern poser. <laughs> oh. And I was like. I was in this parking lot with a bunch of friends. We were just having a nice night. And mm-hmm. I was like, who's this? I was like, this is this person. They're just angry that the same problem I had in Thunder Bay. Mm-hmm. Somebody from not here showing up, putting mm-hmm. up roots. And uh, it got under their skin. A new route from somebody out of town at that time. I was like 26. Pretty young to be putting up a route on Yamnuska. And it ended up being a cool 512 route. All bolted. Cool. On Yamnuska. There just was there's not many of those on Yamnuska. There was like two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, you know, and uh, it crossed an old route. This Brian Wallace guy was trying to put up called Mean Mistreater. He died on Mount Lohi. That's a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, this dude was like, I was like, he's like, all you can do is bolt roots, the Eastern poser. And I was like, <laughs> so there was this great wall above Canmore, the second buttress of Eeyore. And the North Face had been climbed by Raphael Slowinski. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't another route on it. So I went up uh, with my uh, buddy Matt and climbed this route right up the east face of it. And it's 450 meters. I put in one bolt. <laughs> and I just I just ran it. 
I just ran it the heck out. Just like to make a point. Just to make a point because I was so angry. I was like 26 (laughs) and I was so full of misplaced toxic masculinity and testosterone. Totally. Just, I didn't understand myself. I was like, I'll show you. (laughs) I'll risk my life. I wasn't even Facebook yet. Yeah. And uh, I went up and, yeah, put up this, I called it Eastern Poser. Nice. And I put it on the Graf Sports Ice Forum, which was Will Gadd's thing. And I was like, here you go. Go repeat it if I'm such a flake. Mm-hmm. And to this day, nobody that Not I know repeated. has been able to. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a solo. A, it's a stupid route. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the anchors are okay, but like I've got some pitons in it. Yeah. But it was absolutely outrageously like I gave it five nine plus plus plus. Nice. I don't know what it is, but I would never yeah. climb it again. And right. somebody recently asked me if they could bolt it. And I was like, please. Nice. Like go bolt it. It's yeah. the only way it's going to get climbed. Right. But it was just, I look back at how stupid and naive and like arrogant I was. Um, just in the thick of it. Yeah. And then, but I used that. I was, I continued with that energy mm-hmm. and I pulled that into the mountains where I got to do some cool alpine climbing. Cool. Yeah. And ice climbing. And that was like, to me that those were the, the cool years mm-hmm. just with a couple of friends spending you know, two to four days in the mountains on big, big, you know, 1500 meter, 30 pitch routes right. that involve rock, ice, navigating steep walls, mm-hmm. um, finding your way up weaknesses that maybe you'd come across an old piton coming to the top and it's literally only half over and you got to get off that thing. Usually it's like finding your way down the, the glacier. Right. So now you're like glacianeering down this like mm-hmm. psycho mountaineering route through Bertrands and then you get to a valley, you got 20 kilometers back to the car. Yeah, it's a mission. You like need a bit of ego to be able to do that. You need to be kind of <laughs> dumb. Yeah. And like those routes don't get done a lot. Yeah. Like ha- since then I've been to Chamonix and some other Alpine areas and mm-hmm. they seem more approachable. You know, Steve House said, if you can climb in the Rockies, you can climb anywhere in the world. And Nick Bullock, uh, a famous UK a uh, hard climber uh, said that the Canadian Rockies are like the Alps in the 1800s. They're just cool. untouched, raw, remote, and scary. And chassis. <sighs> uh, yeah, like some of the mountains have a band of coal. Right. Like a 30-meter pitch of coal. Like, I don't know if you climbed coal. I <laughs> no. I hadn't. Yeah. There's no crimping on coal. You're just like, you're kind of climbing through like weaknesses. It's like, it's like past lake. Right. But it's black. Right. And sandier. Yeah, that sounds terrible. And you're just like, yeah. And then you get stuck on a ledge with a buddy. Yeah, and then you you share these really special moments with people. And then you know they die a year later, and you're left to like deal with that. Hmm. And there was a lot of that for about eight years. Wow. With a lot of people, a lot of friends. Uh, and then I just stopped. Yeah. I just stopped alpine climbing because of that. Because it was okay. just so intense. So. So heavy, so dangerous, mm-hmm. and you're you're being dumb. You're being, uh, you're being risky, and you're not really at that time. I was really be focused on my what I wanted, and not really thinking about the people around me. Mm-hmm. And uh, ha- having watched friends die, um, not like in person, but knowing a lot of friends who died, and mm-hmm. and, ha- and being with their families afterwards. To me, it just came to a point where like. Yeah. This isn't worth it at all, but I'm happy people are doing it. You have to have people who are doing it, mm-hmm. whether it's hard gra- uh, trad routes or hard alpine routes. People have to push that bar. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, but it is it is heavy stuff for sure. Somebody once told me about the luck jar. You've heard of the luck, the luck jar? No. Everybody has a luck jar, mm-hmm. and every and it and it's full of these little like post-it notes, mm-hmm. um, you know that say luck. Mm-hmm. And every time you get away with something, you take one out of the luck jar. Mm-hmm. And that luck jar, um, you know, there's a finite amount of luck in there. You don't know how much is in your luck jar. Yeah, it eventually runs out. Yeah, eventually luck, it, the luck will run out. So you gotta follow your gut. Totally. And if you feel it coming, mm-hmm. stop. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All those times that you like put the belay somewhere and the thing falls down just to your left or all those times all those times yeah (laughs) Yeah. for sure yeah for sure yeah yeah wow yeah and i mean for for folks in thunder bay obviously alpine climbing isn't a thing but there are there are thunder bay isn't the least sketchy climbing area out there that's for sure the the climbing here uh helped me climbing in the mountains Mm -hmm. because you learned how to deal with loose rock Mm -hmm. uh talus Mm-hmm. Tricky approaches, complicated starts, uh, run-out gear, mm-hmm. um, finicky gear, mm-hmm. um, heady climbing, adventure climbing. You could take any pitch of trad climbing from Thunder Bay and put it on any mountain. It would fit right in in the west. Right. It's just that kind of style. And uh, so, no, the climbing here sets you up in many ways for climbing in the mountains. And climbing in the Rockies sets you up for climbing internationally totally. in big mountains. So it's a cool step-by-step program. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you want to follow it. If you want to follow it, yeah. yeah. Just be, um, watch out for the luck jar. Yeah, and then we didn't talk about the ice climbing, but the ice climbing here is world-class. For sure, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the whole, we got, we got, that's a whole section of yeah. its own. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole. All right, first, first we got to roll back to you, okay? So you, oh, moved, yeah. you moved out west, yeah. you started writing, you got sponsored by Wild Country, and then somehow you ended up the editor of Grip Magazine. Yeah, so I was rock-guiding. Okay. Uh, for York Wilts on top mountaineering in Canmore and Colin Moorhead, Squamish Rockheads. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, a guy named Ben Firth, who's a famous ice trad climber from mm-hmm. the Rockies. Um, his dad was Jack Firth, part of the Calgary Mountain Club days, the British dudes. Um, yeah, he was putting together uh, a crew um, for rope access. Okay. And, uh, and you needed to have a uh, ACMG cert. So you had to be a climbing guide. I was a climbing guide and he, he gave a call out on kind of the email to all the climbing guides in Canmore. Mm-hmm. Said if you guys want to become rope access technicians, we're doing a, uh, a quick course cool. at Grotto Canyon. And at that time rope access was kind of a new thing. And so I was like, this sounds cool. So I went out to Grotto Canyon in two days. We got our Sprat level two. That's basically like skipping ahead to your master's in a day. Okay. And university, like, okay. yeah, we were, we were pushed through the program. We ended up with our Sprat level two. He didn't end up needing many of us, but I was left with my Sprat level two, which is rope access is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, and it cost me like 300 bucks. Now it would cost like 5,000 bucks. Wow. I need like hundreds of hours. I was really lucky. Right. And so, um, I was offered a job doing rope access in Calgary, which landed me in Calgary. I ended up working in Houston, Texas doing rope access. Really? Wow. And then... I was loving rope access. I was straight up rope access tech for a couple companies. Mm-hmm. And in uh, 2013, um, the editor for Gript, Gus Alexanopoulos, mm-hmm. left. Okay, I didn't actually know that he was the former editor of Gript. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So he was the editor of Gript for like eight years. Okay. And he left, and uh, I had been writing a lot for them. Mm-hmm. And I'd just written a huge article for Alpinist called Homage, which was about my friend Carlisle Norman, who died in Patagonia, and about all of my heroes and mentors that helped me get into alpine climbing. Mm-hmm. 
and it was like, I sent Katie, I was 30,000 words. She published 12,000 words, which is like a lot of That's words for story, one article. Yeah. yeah. And it was an issue 42 and, uh, that had come out and I was about to do a new rope access job. And my brother Kyle was just going through some life stuff. He wanted to move out West and I was living in a van and gripped touch base with me and they said, Hey, we're going to hire a new editor. We'd love to have someone out West. Hmm. And they said, why don't you come to Toronto and we can talk to you about that. And so I went to Toronto and I went in, had to do an interview with, uh, Dave Smart and Sam Cohen who own Gripped. Cool. And yeah, they said, we'd love to have you. Cool. And you can live out West and here's what Gripped is and here's maybe where it can go. Mm -hmm. And that's up to you. Just kind of, and I had no formal training. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was Just hanging off ropes. And yeah, but I was, I knew a lot of climbers. Right. That's a big part of I it. was, I was in the scene. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's how that, that's how that started. Cool. What year was that? 2013. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I just, I went to Toronto, hung out. They have an office in Toronto. And so Gripped Magazine's owned by Gripped Publishing. That's their business because they were told, they started the climbing magazine in the late 90s because okay. there was no Canadian climbing magazine. Mm -hmm. And they were, they thought, well, we should have a Canadian climbing magazine. And they were really smart ahead of the, the time and they, they started Gripped Magazine. And then uh, I think somebody told them or they thought, why well, just have one donut? in a donut shop when you can have lots of donuts. So they started Gripped Publishing. Mm. Now they own Canadian Running, uh, okay. Canadian Cycling, Triathlon Magazine. So they have several magazines, mm -hmm. lots of titles, lots of editors, lots of writers, contributors. Gotcha. They have some podcasts as well cool. with the other magazines. And uh, yeah, so since then I've just been working on Gripped from out here. Sweet. Yeah. Sounds like it's it's been going well. You know, I think that... Uh, Climbing publications, whether it's the Canadian Alpine Journal, American uh, Alpine Journal, um, or any publication, guidebooks, printed guidebooks, mm -hmm. they should be supported because supporting them ultimately supports writers and photographers who mm -hmm. are, are all in our community. Totally. So it was sad to see Rock and Ice and Climbing Magazine mm -hmm. be bought up and closed. And I had a lot of friends who lost their jobs. Um, but ultimately, I think there's a future for it and yeah there's no end in sight right now for grip being a print magazine sweet which is crazy yeah it seems like it's doing great 20, it's, yeah in not 2022 it's, it's not the age of magazines but. no but there are certain magazines that have kind of captured their audience mm -hmm. and the advertisers who like those mm -hmm. types of titles are sticking with them which is sweet so that that model's working right now that's awesome so i think as long as it can go it's important because you know i when I started climbing, there were websites. Those websites are gone now. You can't find that information. But the old magazines, you can still find it. True. And you can still flip through it. And so the old websites with the stories, the old blogs are gone. But mm -hmm. the magazines are still there. So we have a physical copy of it, mm -hmm. which is cool. It is. As climbers, we like that physical thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's cool that it's still around. And forever, however long it's around, I'll be stoked to... To be there. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're not, not going anywhere anytime soon. Nope. Cool. That's <laughs> awesome. Nope. Sweet. And so like for you personally, it sounds like it's brought you to some pretty, pretty neat spots. You know, I think I, I miss the heyday of uh, like the Rolling Stone style okay. press trip. 
right. with the climbing world. In the 80s and the early 90s, they were yep. doing press trips every few weeks. They'd all go somewhere, mm-hmm. all expenses paid, mm-hmm. hotels, drinks, travel. I've, ha- I've been lucky to go on a few of those. Mm-hmm. Chamonix, um, uh, all around Canada with some, some companies, Indian Creek, through the States. Very cool. Um, but I definitely miss, like, there was, a, there was a moment in time where I think climbing magazines were like pretty rowdy Mm -hmm. the group running them and uh the companies were bringing them to to some pretty cool events Mm -hmm. and some companies are still doing that uh and i've been lucky to go places with them Mm -hmm. um and yeah there's some crazy stuff that happens for sure climbers are nuts climbers are nuts nuts. yeah yeah but it's it's pretty tame and i don't think it is what it used to be yeah not like like the 90s which is probably just probably a good thing thing. yeah 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 for sure um so all right so that's grip we still haven't even talked about let me get them all here so the bold and cold the history of 25 classic climbs in the canadian rockies or to be a warrior the adventurous life and mysterious death of billy davidson Mm -hmm. or uh, co-author of Northern Stone, 50 of Canada's Best Rock Climbs, alongside David Smart. Right. It's a lot of books. The Northern Stone one is, the publisher, Rocky Mountain Books, had to cancel it because of COVID. They canceled a bunch oh, of titles. Really? So Gus is publishing it. Oh, cool. As of now, from what I know. Okay. So Gus is working on that book. Okay, cool. So that's, uh, I don't know when that'll hit shelves. The other two books, The Bold and Cold, was, that's, that's a story in itself. Mm-hmm. I met a guy... He told me about a guy named Billy Davidson. I wanted mm-hmm. to write a book about Billy Davidson. I was 25. Didn't know anything about writing books. Mm-hmm. He sent me in another direction to talk to another guy. This guy said, write this book. It's called The Bold and Cold. Mm-hmm. Okay, Callan. I spent like 12 years writing that book. Mm-hmm. He's like, here's 25 routes. Go climb these routes. Write a book. I went and climbed cool. 13 of the routes. And then I didn't want to die. So I got other people to tell me stories. Okay. Ultimately, it's a collection of stories about hard climbing. Cool. Uh, the coolest thing about that book was... When it was published, it was published in 2015, 16, when Marc-Andre Leclerc was just coming into his own with alpinism, and I gave him a copy of that book, and at the time, Marc was living with me, mm-hmm. and he read it cover to cover, he sat on the couch, read that whole thing, and he's like, okay, and then he just went out, and his goal was to just, like, change the book, and he did. Wow. That yeah. year, he changed the book. That's crazy. He soloed Andromeda Strain, and then he went and soloed the Emperor Face. And right. I was like, "Dude, you son of yeah. a bitch! The books, yeah, the books are like out of date." Out yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. So That's the coolest wild. part of that book has been to see people be inspired by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with the Billy Davidson book. Um, other people have, a, a, um, the book. The, Billy Davidson was a dude who lived in the nineteen fifties and sixties, and kind of was one of Canada's most important big wall aid climbers in the 1960s and early 1970s, was Canada's first Yosemite big wall aid climber, solo Mm. aid climber, Cool. uh, became a hermit on the West Coast, uh, a famous painter, and ended up either killing himself or being murdered. It's a crazy story. Yeah. But a lot of people who I've talked to who've read that book have kind of uh, found themselves in Billy, Mm -hmm. if you can, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of Billy's writing in it, Okay. and a lot of people kind of jam with that cool and so yeah that's been cool there was just i came across stories that people asked me to kind of write and so i wrote them great yeah but i but i think they're really the books are cool because they include a lot of rad writing by people who aren't around anymore Mm -hmm. and so if you like stories those are cool stories to read sweet yeah they're inspiring 
Yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten a copy of either yet, but I'd like to. Yeah, they're God, they're uh, you know, Bowling Cold's if you're not an if you're not into climbing mm-hmm. or alpinism, it's pretty boring. Right. Fair. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty yeah, boring. That's fair. And the other one about Billy is really heavy. Gotcha. Like I wrote it over a long time and then I pieced it together, gave it to Rocky Man Books, they got an editor to do it. And I recently picked it up and started reading it. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> I don't remember writing that, but this is nuts. Wow. Yeah, so it's heavy reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. But climbing's heavy, so. Climbing's heavy, yeah. yeah. It's, it's real stuff, especially when you're talking about the big mountains. Especially when you're talking about the big mountains. I mean, we can do another podcast another time about big mountain stuff. For sure, yeah. yeah. Make sure that everyone in Thunder Bay just gets real scared and never <laughs> yeah. wants to go to the Rockies. Yeah, well, the Rockies are all good. It's just, you just have to be with the right people, have the right conditions, and mm-hmm. you have to right, have the right attitude. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I've turned away from more big mountain routes than I've done, for sure. Nice. You have to be able to do that. Seems like that's a common, common thing. I've heard Will Gadd say that many times. You know, when you're walking four hours to the base of a route, mm-hmm. and you're feeling good, and it's in condition, but your partner's a little iffy... Mm-hmm. pull the pin mm-hmm. it's time to go you're not you don't guilt trip anybody it's just time to go which sucks but mm-hmm. you know there's a, there's, there's a lot of stories by better climbers than me about the, that mm-hmm. and so yeah big big mountain climbing is dangerous it's scary I think everyone should try to do it if they feel they're good at it then progress at it but do it with the right mentors and the right communities get the right information and the right training mm-hmm. and and uh yeah Yeah, it can bring you to some pretty cool spots. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you mentioned Marc-Andre there. I mean, that Marc-Andre story in and of itself is is a crazy story of time spent doing amazing things in the big mountains. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Mark, I mean, I could talk about Mark forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, here, I'll give you a quick example. I woke up one morning... And uh, I was living in my condo with my partner, Gabby, and Mark was living there with his partner, Brett. And I woke up and Brett was having a coffee and it was really early. It was like 7.30. And I was like, Brett, where's Mark? She's like, oh, he's out climbing. <laughs> I was like, where? What? <laughs> and uh, she said, I, I here, let me see what it is. And she looked and she's like, tall story? Somewhere called tall story. I'm mm-hmm. like, my jaw dropped. And I thought, Mark's climbing. I was like, with who? She's like, just by himself. And I was like, what are you talking about? Tall Story is like a 7-pitch, 5'11-plus sport route. Wow. And I thought, what do you mean he's climbed by himself? Like, I've done the route. It's really tacky and hard to read and mm-hmm. complicated. And I was like, back of my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, Mark's like, climb, like, soul Tall Story. This is mm-hmm. super crazy. And I should never have been worried. A few mm-hmm. minutes later, he texted a photo of himself, like, soloing the last pitch. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm almost at the top. I'll be home soon. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, on-site free solo. Yeah. Tall story. Go right. climb it. And to think of that. Yeah. Totally. And this was... The film about Mark called The Alpinist mm-hmm. talks about some things. Mm-hmm. I say I would say it talked about 2% of the things. Right. The other 98% of the things were actually just as crazy, if not crazier. Wow. And involved some gnarly rock climbing, ground up on-site free soloing and down climbing. Crazy. So, yeah. Super crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to imagine anything being crazier than like on-site soloing stuff on the Stanley Headwall. That's the craziest. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <that's probably, laughs> yeah. 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 So he did that in a day and then he went back and he filmed it with yeah. uh, John Walsh and John Griffith. Right. And, uh, for the film. 
and John and John, when they caught that famous footage of him soloing up Nightmare on Wolf Street, mm-hmm. they were above him and they held the camera out mm-hmm. and they both looked away. <laughs> they just like held it down during yeah. the sketchy parts. And I, I, I think it. they had a rope with a carabiner on it. Just ready to... Just in case. <laughs> just in case for his, for his ice tool in case he needed it when he yeah. never needed it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a whole... You can do a series on Mark. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I hope someone does. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. Thunder Bay is a great place. You can learn ice climbing, trossy rock climbing, mm-hmm. adventure climbing, remote climbing, and you can take that out west. And a lot of people have. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm just one of. The, I'm one of the many people, and I'm like, I know it's cliche, but I'm standing on the shoulder of like giants myself and everybody who came before me. All everything they taught me is what I took out west, mm-hmm. and I I feel like I contributed a fraction of something progressive to the sport mm-hmm. in Canada, which is it's so micro and so inconsequential to what other people have done but i feel like i did that um because of what i got from the people in thunder bay that they like instilled something in me that like if you're climbing you should be giving a little bit back and so by putting up roots or um you know finding new alpine lines i feel like that was my way of like taking what i learned in thunder bay and giving it to people who might just be starting or might not have been through here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, because you do quite a bit of moderate development as well. Like, it's not like you're out, you know, putting up hard projects all the time. You're putting up cool stuff for lots of folks. Yeah, for a few years I just put up like, <laughs> like ten page five seven sports. Yeah. Because I would go take go do easy routes and they were jammed, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, there's like slabs everywhere. We mm-hmm. might as well just bolt those. So I started bolt those, and then people were like, I got upset about that. Right, <laughs> you know, people are like, no more high volume routes, right? Because then you're bringing more people to the mountains. And I was like, what? No, these people are already climbers. Mm-hmm. And it was it was all confusing. Mm-hmm. If you're putting up hard, scary routes, people are upset. If you're putting mm-hmm. up easy routes, people are upset. There's no, there's you're gonna upset people. Totally. But there's, it's not a reason to stop putting up routes. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's run out, scary, alpine, or like high volume, well bolted routes. Yeah. Or crags, whatever. Totally. Yeah. People are always gonna. Yeah, one's always gonna have something to say. Something to say. Yeah. 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 As long as you're just honest about what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. That's all that matters. Yeah. I like to say there's there's no such thing as cheating and climbing, only lying. Uh yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of lying and climbing. And there was a lot I think there I think there was I think it was easier. Even though it's easy to like fudge things on like Mountain Project or Sundage. Mm Mm-hmm. Back in the day, you know, while we're seeing the great coming of like the Himalayan lying schemes with people being called out for not actually summoning 8,000 meter peaks and all this stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, I had a buddy just put up a new route in North Vancouver uh, called Throne of Kings, 8 pitch 10B, all bolted Mm -hmm. uh, near Lions Bay. And he just published it and he came across an old Robin Barley route that the first ascender is called 11A, and he repeated it. He's like, this thing's like 512A at least. Hmm. So he's like, did they even climb it? Mm. So that happens lots. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally, yeah. No, I think just approach climbing with, like, honesty and humility. Yeah. And, yeah. Just have fun with it. Yeah, have fun with it. Yeah. But, I mean, also expect the unexpected, especially if you're putting yourself out there, whether you're new rooting, mm-hmm. or writing about it, or being a photographer. Mm-hmm. Like, not everyone's going to, you know, drink what you're pouring. <laughs> that is very true. 
Um, so, I mean, you're in Thunder Bay right now. Not always here. You were just at the Outbreak Wall, which is a spot that is, is near and dear to my heart and near and dear to Eric Fishman's heart and an increasing number of us that are stoked on it. Um, what did you do while you are out there? Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank you and Eric and everybody who's developing that wall. Oh, thanks, man. Um, anybody who put anybody who's developing roots, um, nothing but thanks and praise. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of gear. It, you're gonna use your own money, and you're doing it for the passion, and it's a hobby. But ultimately, um, future generations are gonna use it mm -hmm. and not totally understand the sweat that went into it. So new new rooters root developers trail builders mm -hmm. big thanks to everybody here who's doing that and that's you guys uh and whoever is part of that crew i went there last year 2021 fall and i met eric there and i looked at some roots and then eric told me about a second wall and so i went out there with my partner michelle and eric had just put in a trail or had put in a trail and sent me where that trail was we took that trail down to what's called the first gully past the first wall and we continued down that trail uh, to the end of that trail. And then we continued farther into some bush. And we found a little pillar. And we climbed that little pillar, which was pretty cool because it was just a separate pillar. We chimneyed up the back and got to like stand on top of this pillar for the first time, which is just cool anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then on the way back, we found two separate lines in this like zone, um, which are two pitches. And um, the one on the right is 5'8 gear pretty loose not totally recommended the one on the left is a two pitch uh 10b first pitch kind of a finger crack to an off width and then a five seven second pitch which i recommend cool. and that's the, the one you showed me the photo of that is yeah that one looked pretty sweet yeah so i called that one friends in high places um named in honor of some friends from lakehead that i've lost hmm. particularly uh fergus blair and jake allen so fergus was a climber developer uh, back in the early 2000s he was like the captain of the ultimate frisbee team mm -hmm. hunky guy really cool got married had a baby uh, died of lung cancer in his mid-30s and so he that was a great loss to the climbing to the Thunder Bay community who was around in that time mm -hmm. and then another friend Jake who I went to university with who died he was doing arborist work had a tree fall on him and he killed him just a few years ago. So I kind of named that route just in honor of like the friends that you come here with and that don't get to be around for a long time. Mm -hmm. That thing's awesome. Cool. Yeah. If you like kind of like pumpy trad climbing, go try to find that. <laughs> it's in a forest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we climbed some like two pitch 510 ridge cool. thing. We call, I called it Ontario Alpine. Cool. Because it reminded me of like chassis alpine climbing. Because cool. most alpine climbs are like chassis and then there's like one hard cracks. Right. And then just toss you to the top. Right. So. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Super sweet. Mm -hmm. Good training routes. And then we walked the trail back on the top, which is an amazing trail. You guys have done an awesome job putting in that trail. That whole zone. I hope it becomes a really popular area and people just continue to develop it because I think like that's like the zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it will. I mean, if, if the way things are going is any indicator, like I think there was 20 people there this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope that continues and it just becomes the zone. I think like mm -hmm. the campsite, the trails, the parking, the remoteness, the aspect, the lake, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You guys should be proud of it. Thanks. Well, we definitely are. And shout out to Eric for putting that place on the Shout map. out to Eric for all the work he's done. Totally. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Always shout outs to Eric. Yeah. And, and future book incoming. 
Yeah, I can't wait for it. Yeah, me neither. It's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be twice as thick as the current one. <laughs> yeah, the current like, one's already pretty thick. It'll be the Bible of yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's scientific climbing. Yeah, the thing that I keep bugging him about is I want a I want like a an ice encyclopedia. I want every I like know. none of this select stuff. Yeah, I want like a root a book with every single ice route in Northern Ontario. Good luck, man. There's so yeah. many. It'd I'd be a up, thick book. I put up ice routes around here, man. So many that were just remote little drips. Mm-hmm. Actually, while talking about ice climbing, the route that we put up, the two pitch five ten B friends in high places, which I include, I talked about. Fergus Blair mm-hmm. we used to do a lot of ice climbing we would camp out in Orient Bay which mm-hmm. isn't allowed anymore but at that time we would camp out there in winter it was like minus 30 you're in tents we were bundled up it was so cold we had mm-hmm. like we'd, we'd put whiskey in thermoses that was heated because beer would freeze mm-hmm. we'd have like bagels with peanut butter everything was frozen we were in our early 20s and we were sharpening ice, ice our ice tools and Fergus slipped and he put his ice tool blade right through his quad oh god in a tent there was no phones it was like blowing snow he put it right in his right quad, an ice pick right in his quad, like six serrations deep. Wow. Like in there. And we just we just put our hands on it and we took it off the ice the the handle and mm-hmm. we left it in. Left the pick in. Yeah, and we oh. got him to the car. God. And got him to town in the hospital. It was like a four hour journey. Heinous. Yeah, just like those old stories where like yeah. you know, you drive past these places now and you you don't know that there were so many epics at one point. Oh for sure. Especially around here, these walls have stories. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and you're getting I'm them. Here. Yeah, I'm trying. That's, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. the whole goal of this whole Yeah, day. yeah. Good for you. Yeah, you'll have to listen to the Steve episode. There's a really good uh, story about him like obliterating the entire belay and the whole bottom of Pastor to Valhalla, knocking rocks <laughs> off. Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. Good work, Steve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, one, I think just one more, maybe. Yeah, um, whatever. So, so and this is the first time this has come on the podcast, so I gotta preface this a little bit. So, oh, yeah. Um, there's a crag out on Fort William First Nation, and it's named after the bay that it's on, and that bay has an unfortunate name, I okay. think. And, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned it earlier, I think. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, I don't think that's a conversation that's been had yet in Thunder Bay climbing. And I mean, it's not that the, the crag didn't create the name. The crag's named after the bay. The, the name of the bay is certainly much older than the climbing. But I do think that as climbers, we have, you know, names are powerful and, and we have the ability to influence things. And this is a conversation that's happening in a lot of places in climbing right now. So I'm going to refer to this place as Squall Bay. Anyways, at Squall Bay... There is a uh, a wall called the Tundra Wall, and there are some mysterious sport routes there that no one has ever been able to find. <laughs> Can you tell me anything about those? Yeah, they don't exist. They don't exist. They're yeah. complete fabrication. They're total fabrication. Just like blown smoke. Just blown. Me and Willie made that up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. there you go. If that's for the record, they yeah, don't exist, everybody. They do not exist. Quit looking. Yeah. <laughs> They're not there. They're not there. <laughs> no, we went up. We top roped some routes. Okay. And then the plan was to go back and bolt them. Yeah. And they're, they're totally uh, top rope routes. And we left mm-hmm. some slings on some trees. Mm-hmm. And we were going to go back. And this was when the guidebook was kind of being made. We mm-hmm. were like, we're going to go back and bolt them. Mm-hmm. So they're bolted. Gotcha. No, nothing. We never bolted them. Okay. Yeah. There you go. They're, top, the they're top rope routes if you want to do them. Cool. But they're like chassis kind of things. Nice. I reached yeah. out to a few people and were like, what do you want to hear Brandon talk about? Yeah. And multiple people said, what no, is were, the deal with those routes in school? <laughs> never, in bay? never bolted. <laughs> never bolted. I bet you they had some fun hiking <laughs> adventures though. For sure. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I, can, I have pictures of the walls mm-hmm. and uh, they would be really cool bolted routes. Mm-hmm. And if, I think somebody should bolt them. Right. But we never bolted them. Right. We I think maybe we put a bolt or two at one near one of the tops, but no, they were never completed. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
Well, there you go. There, you there was it. a treasure in the States where this guy, like, buried a treasure. And he, he sent everybody out looking for these treasures. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody eventually found it, but people, like, got lost. They got killed. Right. It was kind of like that. Like some D.B. Cooper kind of, like, some D. With, without a have, The D.B. Cooper wall. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good to yeah. know. I'm glad you asked me about that, actually. Um, uh. Derek asked me about that, like, five years ago. I was like, yeah, they're, they're not there. But Eric <laughs> never asked me about it, I don't think. Right. Yeah. That's because at the time he was making the guidebook, we were going to go and do this stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's there funny. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, nice. Well, maybe maybe the new guidebook will uh, will have some edits then. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I should just go bolt them. Maybe. Although there is... That's a whole other conversation. Oh, well, we can't climb there. Climbing on the reserve is... is You know, I, I, I'm not the arbiter of these things by any any means, but it's certainly something that we need to have a conversation about and think seriously about and you know, be talking with, with the folks that have a lot more authority than we do, so... Yeah, that's... So TBD on that one. Yeah, that's, uh, um, yeah, with the name stuff, um, yeah, and the access stuff, it comes down to the people who, who's landed us, so... Totally. That's up to them. Absolutely. And when it comes to naming stuff, climbers just need to be mindful. Mm-hmm. And I think climbers have become more mindful. Definitely. And I think it's a good thing. I agree. And, uh... And climbers have to continue. And there was there's moments of change and progress. And then we come into these lulls mm -hmm. where there's no, uh, where we kind of forget about it. And we kind of get back into our cycles of like whatever. Mm -hmm. But we have to remind ourselves that we have to continue to push for progress and inclusion and mm -hmm. all these things with climbing. Totally. And I will say, I think that grip is, grip plays a role. It does play a role and it, it's had its pushback. Especially oh, I'm it's... sure. I've, I've read some some crusty comment threads. To be <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, I don't read those. <laughs> yeah, good yeah. idea. Yeah, good, good idea. Yeah, yeah. No, there's for sure. But what? It, that's just how it is. And totally. you know, there's the right side and wrong side of history. And mm -hmm. just, know, let's just be on the right side. Being nice is the right yeah. side. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You'd yeah, think yeah. that'd be a little more obvious. But. Mm -hmm. but while I'm on that topic, there is a wall out there that is bolted. Yeah. And that. Um, wasn't in the guidebook. Oh, really? So people should go looking for it. Ah, okay. I see. So <laughs> it's gonna, we're going to call this the D.B. Cooper episode. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay. So anyway, good luck yeah. finding it. Yeah, it's out there somewhere. It's west. East? It's above, there's a small talus field next to a bigger one. <laughs> right. And there's a chimney. It's really a obvious. Super good chimney. From the yeah. lake. Yeah, and a splitter hand crack. Out left. Out left. Yeah, totally. and right yeah. in between the two. Yeah. Probably the best bolted route. There you go. In Thunder Bay. There you go. You may or may not see it in Eric's <laughs> guidebook. Perfect. Yeah. But Perfect. go looking. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay <laughs> tuned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, I mean, thanks, man. This has been great. Anything Anything else you want to share? Or words of wisdom to the folks in Northern Ontario? And I shouldn't say that, you know, we're not, we don't, we're not just talking about Thunder Bay here. You know, ideally this, this podcast is going to be focusing on, you know, climbing from the Manitoba border to Sudbury and, and maybe wider one day. So Yeah, to Sudbury. I mean, the walls out near Sudbury, um, those walls are amazing. And the Botswana Barrier, Montreal River, Sault Ste. Marie, uh, from, from Lake Huron to here and uh, out to Lily Pond. Absolutely fine, yeah. It's all good. The totally. rock climbing is amazing, and it's you can you can turn you can make a summer road trip out of this. You can you can spend a whole season up here. You can spend years here, mm -hmm. finding new routes, climbing classics, meeting really neat people, and uh, and adding to the the history of this place. Mm -hmm. um, like in my opinion, it's it's the best place to come visit in Canada this time of year for rock climbing. Oh yeah, fall Hand, especially yeah, hands down, and. Uh, 
yeah, go looking for those, you know, hidden gems. Totally. And weird, mysterious roots. And I just have fun here. Just, there's something for everybody. If you want to find some easy, fun sport routes or hard, weird trad routes or adventure routes, it's all here. Mm-hmm. And just reach out to the locals mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, they'll show you the way. And, yeah, go find that missing sport route. Go find the missing sport route. <laughs> yeah, it's out there. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Well, thanks so much, Brandon. Yeah, thank you, man. there you have it part one of my conversation with brandon pullen editor of grip magazine and lakehead alumni obviously as you can hear brandon's done a whole lot of cool stuff and continues to work really hard to put thunder bay climbing on the map which i think is uh, is a noble task stay tuned in the uh coming days and weeks for part two of that conversation where you'll hear about the infamous bolting of the centennial park bluffs that happened a couple years ago and uh As you likely already know, Brandon played a a large role in that. Also, Brandon's going to talk about all the times that he met Fred Becky out in Canmore, as well as the time that Cedar Wright rope gunned him up Yamnuska and then paraglided off. Um, So check back soon to hear that episode. In the meantime, it's getting cold out there. Rock season's basically over, so it's time to start doing pull-ups on the tools, getting ready for ice season. Maybe go out and do some dry tooling. And as always, stay safe, have fun, and we'll see you next time on Up North Rocks.